Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we have an incredible interview that just hit home with me and I know you are going to love. Today we are speaking with Renee Deneen. Renee is a TEDx and keynote speaker, best-selling author, organizational psychologist, leadership and team performance coach. Wow. Renee is a recovering workaholic and doing addict who left her executive level leadership role in biotech to give herself a genuine shot at doing work that mattered most to her heart without sacrificing the rest of her life. What drives her today is the opportunity to reduce human and organizational suffering and equip people from all walks of life to live with more purpose, joy, and grace. As an international thought leader playing at the intersection of business, psychology, and well-being, Renee travels the world coaching and advising leaders and teams how to best navigate risks, challenges, and opportunities while fueling the soul of the organizations and cultures that they shape. In 2020, Renee took to her own her own story to TEDx stage. Her talk was titled Authentic in Action, Undoing the Doing in a a do crazy world. It's an account of her trials and tribulations as a doing addict. We get into all things talking about what that is, what a doing addict is and how it is a level of addiction and what it can do to us and how we don't tend to listen to those signs until we absolutely have to, until it becomes the hammer that is knocking us saying enough is enough. I'm so grateful for this conversation and everything that she shared, because there's so much value that you're going to be able to take away from this. You're going to love this episode. Welcome to the show today. Renee, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. We were just chatting a little bit and I want to start with asking you where you are from, because this is a very important conversation for us Canadians who are here in the winter. (laughs) Um, I'm from California. I was born and raised in Southern California and then moved up to Northern California, which might as well be another state, but it's not, um, for graduate school and working in Silicon Valley and all that. And then I did spend five years living in Switzerland overseas. Oh, Switzerland. Um, I do know what cold weather is. And what I was told is there's no such thing as cold weather, just bad clothes. So I take that to heart. (laughs) Okay. Well, I kind of buy into that, but I... (laughs) As it's like minus 16 here today, I'm like, yeah, there's, there's some warm clothes I can add, but there's only so much you can do when it gets to be a certain temperature. Keep you safe to your car. And that's about it. Exactly. Exactly. Are you a reader? And if you are, what has been the most impactful book you have read? Oh, I'm an avid reader. I probably read an hour or two every day, internet, as well as Facebook feeds and books. I usually am reading a self-help book. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, of which there have been many, I would say one of the early influences was servant leadership uh, because my first boss was my best boss and she was a servant leader. So that really influenced my leadership journey early on. Um, Another book I loved is The Red Tent because it was a beautiful illustration in a spiritual overlay um, of community Mm -hmm. and the power of women in community. And so that was another book that I read that has influenced the work that I do in the world. So those mm-hmm. are two from top of mind. From the short conversations we've had, those books seem right on, right on target. Do you have a mantra or a quote or something that grounds you or describes who you are? Hmm. I do. The short one that I have memorized is if not you, then who, if not now, then when, mm-hmm. And I think for me, that reminds me that life is precious and there is 
certain things that have urgency and others that don't. Mm -hmm. And so it, it keeps me in the question because I I tend to kind of effort everything and want to do everything. And so it's like, okay, is this mine to do is, is now the right time. So that that's one that comes to mind. That's beautiful. What lights you up or drives you? What lights me up, like, um, makes me excited and inspires me. Oh gosh. Uh, human beings in general, I think the human experience is, I, I can't believe I get to, that's the work I get to do in the world is to be with the human experience. So humans like me have deep connection, intimate connection, female connection. I was raised, I have three older brothers and two dads and lots of masculine energy. So um, that's really lights me up is to be in the feminine mm-hmm. um, and then travel. Um, my family and I, I've been to 75 countries and counting and my family and I've been to over 50. So we are dying <laughs> to get back out in the world to say the least. Yeah, I am sure, especially if you've done that much travel, it's, it feels, I mean, it just feels like it's been eons ago, right? As we're still in this Mm -hmm. state, are you, where are you right now? As far as are things open in California? um, Yes and no. California is pretty locked down. Yeah. Um, As you may know, in the States, it's sort of state by state. So we're pretty locked down, but no restaurants just opened back up gym gyms are outside. Like we've been able to pivot. And because we don't have minus 16 degree weather, um, it's doable. Um, we have a couple weeks where it's quite cold, but people are living their life. They, they figured it out. Um, some are still locked away, but a majority has started to come out and and breathe again. That's good. I think we are like, as, because we are in this cold of a winter and our season, we are still on a lockdown. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting year. Yeah. And I think this is going to lead into a few things that we have to talk about today, especially as you are somebody who really had um, what most people would consider a very successful career, but fulfillment was not, not the only reason, but fulfillment was not there for you. Can you take us back to what your career was like and what that timing was like for you? Yeah. So I am an organizational psychologist by trade. Most of my career was spent in uh, 10 years in HR executive roles and 10 years in more strategy and change roles and organizational development where the organizations or, or capability functions were the organizations that I've run. Um, and I loved it. I'd still do that. Um, I started in high tech Silicon Valley in the nineties, the, the first real, what we call if we were around then, you know, the real boom, it was unbelievable to be 20 something and be in the Silicon Valley, you know, the Bay area in the nineties. So it can't was, imagine I can't, we hear about it, but yeah, I can't imagine it is. And to be an, an organizational development practitioner during that time, like they knew how to use us, right. We were not sort of a peripheral function. We were a strategic HR function. And so I just feel very blessed and, and lucky mm-hmm. that I, you know, my degree met, that school and and that place in the world. So, um, and as a person who uh, is very busy and overdoes and over efforts and, you know, just doesn't want to miss out on anything. um, It fed that for me for many years. Mm -hmm. And then I went to biotech, which was a a newer industry in 99. I was recruited and you kind of look up highway 101 and say, what is that over there? Right. Like kind of forming up more towards San Francisco. and it ended up being a, an incredibly meaningful industry to be a part of the biotech and pharmaceutical industry. So I spent over 15 years there, five overseas. And um, you'd said it wasn't fulfilling. You know, the work was fulfilling, but it stopped. It, it took more than it gave. So the last few years, it started, you know, your tank is only so full and you can only do so much. And I had at the time, how old were my kids about the time I realized I needed to leave. So they were you know, eight and 10 mm-hmm. busy age. Yeah. Yeah. And I was missing uh, many things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could get cherry. I, I just wasn't present. I wasn't feel, I wasn't well. Um, at one point, my doctor, I had a tremor and a stutter forming and they thought I had MS and I got an MRI and thankfully I did not. It was stress. So I had done that to myself. And um, I had also been a chronic insomniac for 20 years. I didn't know how to fall asleep on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of wrote that off. Oh, I'm a young, you know, I'm a mom, I'm an expat, I'm a this, I'm a that, right? Like lots of excuses, but fundamentally I valued sleep very little. 
mm-hmm. and that took its toll. So just life wasn't as meaningful. It's amazing, Um, right? How the physical symptoms kick in and what they do. And it's, I think our body's always trying to talk to us in a way. And yeah, that's, that must've been a very, how long did that process go on for where you were experiencing all those physical type symptoms? Yeah, I had the the tremors and the stutter actually still living in Europe about a year before I came home. Mm -hmm. So uh, for about two and a half or three years, I wrestled with the idea that my life wasn't serving me very well anymore. I was making a lot of money and I was traveling to cool places. I worked with really smart people. Um, the work was good, right? We, um, and a bunch of other things weren't, weren't good. And I, I just, I don't, you know, if I'm being honest, like I still sometimes think like, yeah, why did it take so long or, but it is what it is. And I, I just wasn't ready to leave. And I think I probably was feeling some of that before we got this expat assignment. And then that sort of kicked in for five, six, seven years, that, that inspiration and that opportunity. And we traveled the world. I was living in Europe home more Mm -hmm. in some ways because they take holidays there, right? They take lots of holidays and you, you know, they don't work on weekends. So that part of that five years rebalanced me and had me come into greater presence with my family um, and the world at large, which is what travel does for me. It gives me perspective and connects me to something bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I was traveling a lot. I was um, overseeing like 12 sites and I was regularly traveling to Brazil or Mexico or Shanghai. Or, so I was exhausted. <laughs> no, I was so I, my bones hurt. I mean, I just was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that old. Why do my bones hurt? So it's amazing what lack of sleep can do for us though. And we're burning and burning that candle. Where was the turning point? Was it something that took a long time to decide or did you all of a sudden one day go, I can't do this anymore? Mm, gosh, what a great question. I, there was a voice in me, a voice that I didn't often listen to. And I'll just call her my wiser voice, right? My truer voice that, um, was trying to tell me, you don't have to do this anymore, right? We had enough kind of financial stability. My husband had a great job. Um, I knew that I could be successful out on my own, even though that was really scary. So it wasn't, I wasn't going to like stop working and lose all income, right? So I, I kind of like knew I could, but my identity was so wrapped up in who I worked for and, you know, what project I was on and my title and my accolades and Um, I just wasn't sure who I'd be without all that. So that's probably what took a little longer. And, and at one point I, you know, can't remember if it was right after I left or right before that wiser voice said who you are, what you have and what you've done is already enough. Oh, you are. I love our wiser voices. I love they just like, I'm like, Oh, I love you. (laughs) Hugs. Uh, And I thought, really? Is that true? Could that be? No, right No, it can't be, but she was right. And so shortly thereafter, or I had already left, but it was like, I knew I had to leave physically. I was done. I, I knew I, I, I convinced myself I could still create an enriching career for myself. I had other dreams, right? Like I always say, like have a dream when that dream ends, find a new dream. So I, I had other dreams. Uh, and um, I would say too, I, I, we can go into this a little more detail, but I didn't do it like right out of the gates. I'm like, okay, one, like, what is my situation? And I think there's a a certain um, time, a respect we have to give to the call. And for me, it's like, why is this change calling me? Why now? Like what inspires me, you know? And if I don't make the move now, will I regret it? And how will this move serve other people in my life? Because I'm part of a unit, a community, um, friends, family, and otherwise. So I really had to like get that why really clear. And then I think from there, is also like my current reality. I didn't not like my job, right? I loved it. It's it fed me. It was still feeding me. It it also depleted me to no end. And I started to get annoyed at things that used to not annoy me. Mm-hmm. Um, a coworker would do something. I'd be like, I can't believe I'm still dealing with it. You know, I started to feel judgmental, mm-hmm. a little resentful. And I didn't like that. I was like, no, this, this isn't who I am, you know? And then I think maybe the last like reality check was financially going from a certain amount, knowing in my first few years, I'm going to make a very different amount. Could we do that mm-hmm. um, without pulling my kids out of private school or, you know, never traveling or being, you know, I, I didn't want to do that either. No. So yeah. Yeah. 
So you came to that space and made that change. And I want to talk to you about the change. I want to, I, what I do want to know is how soon did you start to notice changes in you physically when you made a change? <laughs> oh gosh, this might make some, a few people laugh. So I don't know if your audience is familiar with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a type seven and when I'm under like full integration, right. Um, when I'm like at a really sort of opened myself up to growth and and ease, I go to my five, right? And so my five spent a year at like five retreats. (laughs) I literally had to um, slow my nervous system down. I needed to heal my nervous system. I was so kicked up, right? And I was so, um, I was even at this point now kicked up about the fact that I was doing this finally, right? And I was I was like getting myself rewired for another experience. And I knew that wasn't right because literally like I I can feel my body, right. Almost trembling and anticipation. And as exciting as that is like my endorphins, I just kicked up way too much and I just was not grounded. And so I retreated. So I would say it took me about a year to a year and a half to actually like, I would go into the garage. Like this is a metaphor, obviously. And I would be like, the car is still smoking, right? And making all this noise. And I'd check on her. I'd be like, all right, I'll be back tomorrow, right? And I'd leave and be like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, look at all this white space on my calendar. <laughs> What's the problem? Uh, why are you still spewing out things? So it didn't happen overnight, but I was committed and I stayed on it. And part of maybe my one of my lessons I needed to learn was to you know value inaction as much as action. What I say no to matters as much as what I say yes to. And I was, be, you know, I loved like I was creating new choices, more choices for myself. I was getting myself out of that hamster wheel, that that pattern of like saying yes, even when I shouldn't and all of that. So it took a while. And I think that is a myth. Like people think, oh, you're done. And now you can go to lunch with a friend and you have all this white space. And all of a sudden your body feels better. For me, that didn't. I, I had abused my body for 20 years and it needed recovery. I love that you said that. And thank you for sharing that, like healing our nervous system so that it's not amped up constantly on doing, 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 which we're going to talk about shortly. And I love that, um, the inaction versus action, like it's almost when you are that person, it's, it's equally stressful to look at a calendar that's empty. It's like, what am I supposed Uh, to do with this? I don't know what to do. I'm used to cramming in things. And now I, I have all this white space and it would be quite an adjustment for a nervous system to do, because if you're the doer, you also don't want to be in the sense of like, okay, well, I can't sit around and do nothing because then that's not going to move me closer to where I'm trying to go to, but it's a complete rewiring. It's you rewired. And, um, you saw my, my Ted talk, it's titled authentic inaction. I'm doing the doing in a do crazy world. And for me, that inaction is not right. Procrastination or just doing nothing for the sake of nothing. It's creating a step, a choice in between the stimulus and the response where I get to decide yes or no, right. To do or not to do. That is the question, right? I don't know. That was a philosopher and it's, it's been around a while, so there must be meaning to it, but I really was like, oh, I actually can choose now Mm -hmm. that, that came, that was probably the one thing I was like, but that was hard too. I'm like, what do you mean? I get to choose. What do you mean? I don't have to do that. I'm not sure I know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I love that you've shared that. And that personally hits home for me a lot because as we were living in so much chaos, as the fighter, my reaction was always to be like, no, like me, like meet it with a lot of resistance and fight and, and all this until I had to realize that, okay, I can't change the stimulus right now, but I can change how I respond to the stimulus. That was the the piece is knowing that choice was mine in how to respond. And when we do choose in that flight or fight, like that constant fight um, environment, there comes a point where we realize that we're not changing the stimulus, but we're completely depleting ourselves. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it makes me a little teary eyed because Mm -hmm. it is, it's um, I mean, we give away our power. 
we totally give away our power. We don't realize it, but we totally give away our power. And it would have been very easy for you to continue in a sense of saying that I don't have a choice. This is my job or suck it up. Come on, you can do this. But there comes that point where you stop and listen, and that's exactly what you did. So as you stepped away and went into, like, I love the name of your TED Talk. How long did it take you from the point of leaving your job to doing a TED Talk? How long was that time? Uh, Four years. Okay. So four years. So authentic inaction. Mm -hmm. Like, what does authentic inaction mean? Yeah. Um, maybe a short story of that sure. first word. So I didn't, um, I didn't go looking for those words. I knew I was a doing addict. I knew I was in recovery. I knew that I had to get off that, that wheel, um, and, and rest and recover and make choices that serve the whole of my life. Like all of that, I knew I got that right. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily know how I was going to do that. So I was, it was our, my first year out. I was at a retreat <laughs> with my daughter. Uh, I, I mentioned this story in the Ted talk, but um, she was 11 or 12 at the time. She's a doer by good role modeling. She's become like the best of them. And she it was a closing circle. And I walked into the room and I already, something had shifted. It was at Esalen and Big Sur, very spiritual place. Like if you're ever going to like have insights, you'll have them there. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of ripe, right? And so I walked in and I saw two circles of pillows on the ground. I was like, I'm not going to sit in the middle circle. I was like, Ooh, what? Right. Go girl. You're not going to sit in the middle circle. So I sat on the outside. My daughter was on the inner circle and uh, they invited women to come into the circle that, you know, that kind of inside the double circle and share what the weekend meant to them, what impact it could have on their life. And I'm listening to women share and I could feel, you know, kind of like one shoulder, one voice on my shoulder, like, go step in, it's your turn, get in there, say something, you know, why are you here? You don't say something. And then this other wiser voice is like, just sit back, listen, receive, feel Mm -hmm. these women's experience, right? You don't have to do anything to be in service, right? You don't have to do anything to contribute. You can just sit there and receive. And I was like, whoa, I don't think so. What? Are you sure? Um, and of course that's true. Now I know like the mo- sometimes the most brilliance in a group is someone who just sits, right? And waits and then maybe asks the question. I don't know, but they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to get up and leave the room as my daughter's looking at me, kind of freaking out, like, where's my mom? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I left the room and I, you know, kind of looked out at the ocean and I started to reflect on how many times this kind of battle had ensued in my life, right? This battle to do, to contribute to effort and how few times I'd given myself permission to listen to that quieter voice. And, um, and then all of a sudden authentic inaction, like it came to me, like, I don't know, from spirit or something. Mm -hmm. And it just, boom. And I was like, Ooh, what, you know, looking around, like, what is that Um, authentic inaction? And so that started it. And that was about a year out. And then it took me about three years to really hone in on it. So story that leads to what is authentic inaction? It's not, it's really about bringing, it's not a sacrifice between being and doing, right? It's about bringing the two into harmony. It is about lining who we are with what we do as much as freakishly possible. (laughs) Um, It is also first and foremost, I think a practice of slowing down, you know, being with and letting go of our bias to act. Mm. And so it is that space between taking authentic inaction and authentic action is this practice, this step of pausing long enough. That could be seconds. It could be weeks. Um, It depends, but it's, it's that pause. It's more than the pause. Really. It's that dedication to like, I'm not going to take action. I'm not going to feed my habit my bias for action because I don't know yet what to do. So I'm going to sit tight, right? Not procrastinate, but I'm really going to think about it, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to just do because I can now. You, you are speaking to so I'm going to say women right now. You are speaking to a lot of women I know. And what I want to ask you and see if I can formulate this. I think it's so good is the fact that we're talking about the pause and when we can pause is, I think we actually allow ourselves to receive our messages, our lessons, whatever that is. The pause, if you're doing addict, the pause is hard. The pause is, is really tough to do. Mm-hmm. We judge ourselves in that pause. 
as humans. We judge a lot of humans. We judge ourselves in that pause that this is where I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing this. I can say much like you, I did not, I did not have the title for my book until I stopped and I walked away from it. I walked away from it. I spent a day out on my own. And I remember all of a sudden it was like, oh, when she stopped asking why it was just so simple, it all came to me. So it's been my reminder that many times when I'm seeking or looking for something, am I creating enough space or allowing a pause to happen for it to come in? But as women who do, and really like achievers working all these things, the pause, I don't know if it's scary or I don't know if we judge ourselves in that moment. I just would love to see if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, well, for me, I, I love that. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Like as soon as I get quiet, right? Like still people, I mean, that's why people don't meditate for me. That's exactly why. For sure. Oh gosh. Right. Like I thought meditation not be. Well, one, I just convinced myself I'd never be good at it when I realized that's not the point, but I didn't want to be still, right? No. I didn't want to hear the, when she stopped asking why. No, I didn't want to hear the, of course, Renee, authentic inaction, stop the crazy, right? I didn't want, I wasn't ready to hear that. Mm-hmm. So for me, stillness is, it's like a settling, right? Of the water and you can kind of like the creek settles and I can see what's there now instead of the murkiness. And maybe we don't want to see it. So that that was part of it for me because it would mean I'd have to leave, probably leave my job, right? I'd have to sit, really say I'm sorry to my children. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to recontract with my husband, right? It, it had a lot of financially, we'd have to take a hit. So being ready. Um, the judgment. Yeah, I, I think in that moment, the story I shared, the judgment was really like so harsh. Why the heck are you here? If you're going to say nothing, get out, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. add no value. Mm-hmm. Get out. You don't you don't deserve to be here. I mean, it was she was that mean. Oh yeah. No, we um, all have a mean girl. Like, and I, I totally <laughs> yeah, it's this is the thing about judgment is that people I, I hear it all the time because I talk about shame stories and people will say, but you know, what is he gonna say? What's dad gonna say? What's I'm like, you know what, honestly, like that's not none of that matters because the words we say to ourselves are typically a hundred times worse than what anyone else says. We all do that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually anyone else. It's are we, if we are judging, if we are succeeding or doing or achieving or whatever that is, and that it's okay to have pauses in our life because I think we can't, we have to learn how to receive, whether that's messages from ourselves, whether that's support from other people, and we have to learn how to receive. And I don't think we learn that by doing and pushing. I think we learn that by stopping and allowing I love that. And I love like, rather than strive and grasp, right. It's Mm -hmm. allowing, I wonder this just hit landed on my heart, but I, um, it feels true for me. And it might for some listeners is to receive is quite vulnerable. Very. Very. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. to like one, assume that the universe wants to serve us. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And give us something and gift us without having to do anything I think is of little, and then just to re- maybe you're relying on others, right? Like if I'm not giving, then I'm receiving and it means I'm getting something from someone and are they going to hurt me? Are they going to let me down? Yeah. There's so much in that. Gosh, we could unpack that over many, many sessions. <laughs> we certainly could. I know I have a feeling you and I could deep dive into a lot of this. This is, I just, I find it fascinating work. And I mean, when you look at like where you are now, I want to talk about your TED talk a little bit more, but where you are now compared to where you were, do you almost look back sometimes and not recognize, like, I can't believe that's how I lived because you have now, you've now really like you've created your own business, right? You've created your own platform. Tell us about what you're doing now. And then I want to know how that reflects back to where you were. Oh gosh. Yeah. So yes. And, um, sometimes I look back and don't recognize her, Mm -hmm. the parts of her, I don't recognize. Um, I don't know how she got along on so little sleep. (laughs) I'm just like, I have a second idea for a Ted talk confessions of an insomniac, because I think I'm as a chronic insomniac. I, I relied on melatonin wasn't enough, you know, ambient, I remember in my company, we were purchased by a Swiss organization, a Swiss company, and we, everyone was flying overseas and people were passing out, you know, ambient on airplanes. I mean, it was an okay remedy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and till over time, I'm like, I'm losing bits of memory here. I don't think this is good. And, and my mom, by the way, is a chronic insomniac and is still reliant on, on other things. And so 
I, I wanted to break that. Um, and so I guess I sometimes too like how, you know, my mean self, my mean girl is like pretty weak, right? Like you took the easy way out. My compassionate wholehearted was like, you needed that. You needed to get yourself into some, some trouble, right. And create some pain because you, what you're up for Renee is a lifelong change, right? Like a, a change that I can sustain. It's yes. not the next thing I'm going to do. And so I knew I rounded 50 this year. Um, I knew that that was an important distinction between just doing the next thing. So, um, so yeah, I don't recognize her in that way. What I do recognize is a woman who had heart, a woman who was deeply connected and committed to her work and to the people. Um, and at that time it was very industry centric. And so, you know, I also wanted to drop into nonprofit work and different industries and different size companies. And I, I wanted to be less contained by the corporate um, protection, you know, where you can't go that deep and you can't do the deeper work. And I knew that I had been now I was well-trained to do the deeper work. Mm -hmm. So I think another part, it's like, I, I bounced, I, you know, I bounced around a bit. Now, maybe others would be like, you are deep to me, but I knew I, I could go much deeper. Yeah. Um, so today who, who am I? Um, I work 20 hours uh, a week or less an hour, uh, or less a week. Um, now that doesn't, if I'm writing, you know, or doing podcasts and all that, I don't count that. Cause that's yeah, more connection work and creative work. But, um, I rarely work weekends. You know, my, my kids sometimes think I'm a stay at home mom. I mean, I just laugh. I'm like, mm -hmm. um, because not are they my priority because I take that as a bird, right? Like I'm their mom and now's the time. And I only have so many years left. I genuinely, I enjoy being with those humans. Oh my God. I love it so much. I love it so much. And I just, I don't know. I don't want to say I didn't love it before, but I, I just, I kind of didn't know what I was missing, but I missed a lot. And I just, I don't want to miss anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, if there's anything I get teary at, it's that. Yeah. Um, I want my children to know me. I think they knew what I did, but they didn't know who I was. Oh, that's a really powerful distinction right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that because I knew what my mother did and I didn't know who she was. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't want that. Um, I wanted them to really deeply know me flaws and all. Yeah. Um, and I knew that the only way they'd know me is, is quality time and presence and really getting underneath things and getting to know myself better and saying, I'm sorry. And you know, all of those things. So yeah. I'm different in those ways. I'd say that last thing I'm different as, and this maybe came up as more of a feedback from others. So I, I was in Europe year before last now, um, and a coworker that I work with for many years up here we were just were having breakfast. And at the end, she's like, you're so different. <laughs> at first I felt offended. I'm like, you mean different, right? I'm still the same girl. Uh, but what she meant was your energy is different. Mm -hmm. you know, just, I, you can see I'm an excited person. I'm passionate, but I can, I can drop in and ground. Like I know when I'm off balance and, um, and she, I, I was, she appreciated my groundedness. And so that was helpful. And then just the other day, a friend said, Oh my gosh, like Renee, she calls like, let's have lunch. Who is that? Like they still, that still surprises them. Cause for most of my life I was working all day. Right. And now I'm like, let's go on a walk. Let's have lunch. So I think that I'm just, I'm just a more available human to the oh, whole I love of that. my life. Yeah. I'm just a more available human, more present, more, more touched, more, more imprinted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I, I know um, there was a point where a friend had run into me and she said, I can't believe how different you are. And I'm like, I know it's good, isn't it? <laughs> <I guess> it's <laughs> because my way was slowly killing me. So it's, I, it, we can take that and learn and just appreciate that we've come through these stages. I love that one of the first books th things that you mentioned was servant leadership. So that's obviously a big part of you and who you are and you do give back and you, and you spend 25% of your time working with nonprofits, what nonprofits, what speaks to you the most and what do you want to create impact with? Um, women in leadership. So women, um, and I do, I speak and do workshops for women in tech and women empowerment. I volunteer. We have an incredible organization called women empowerment. Um, that is works with homeless or at-risk homeless women and youth. And it's a, a program that is a balance between, um, uh, really gosh, I mean, empowerment, right. Having them feel empowered, feel human again, mm -hmm. and also, um, having them be able to get a job. 
So we do resume workshops and to sit with a woman, this one woman who had been homeless, was not, had a child, her boyfriend was in jail and she just didn't see herself. And I looked at her resume and I was like, oh my God, you did this. Let's talk about that. And I just helped her sort of like remember herself. Mm-hmm. And we wrote the resume an hour later, she was bawling and she's like, oh my God, I, I'm like, Here, I think I can get a job. How did you see that? And I said, you told me about her, mm-hmm. you know, like, don't underestimate you. She's still there. Your shame about being homeless or doing drugs or whatever got you here is your love is your story. Mm-hmm. You are, you are on your way back. Right. And, and I see her and she is calling you home, you know, it was super powerful. So I like intimate mm-hmm. settings. Um, I also do nonprofits just cause, um, some are hugely prosperous and others struggle. So that's more just about a discount, making this kind of work available. I feel good about that. And that can be, um, I work with a nonprofit that does like thought leader platforms for the profit industry, mm-hmm. but they're nonprofit. So they're not, um, per se, like, um, it's the distinction, um, alter, not altruistic, but you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. but they, work for a heck of a lot less money and have a different mission. And so helping them tease that out. So it's a a little bit of mix, but those are some. And then the last one I would say is um, a recent one that fell on my heart around um, police reform and healing. So my father was LAPD 30 years. Um, He leads blue and um, it's been a rough year and there's been other really rough years. And um, so I'm starting to work with a local, um, sheriff and police departments, just helping them sort of pull what I'm calling holding the middle, mm-hmm. sort of pulling back and looking at themselves from the outside in and seeing where reform is absolutely needed and equally important where healing is needed. These officers are broken and they are for the majority, very good, honest, brave public servants. Yes. And there's a slice of them need to go. Right. And yep. so. Um, that's something more recent that's falling on my heart. What a beautiful thing to give back to, because I think that that's definitely something that, especially this year could use some extra support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, can I ask you what, well, first off, I just want to give you some credit in the sense that, okay, authentic in action. It's not just a Ted talk you've had when you sent this to me over 500,000 views Mm -hmm. and a mission to support mission to revolutionize the way that we work, play, and relate to one another, which I think is so beautiful, which you just described there. So I love that. I would love for you to share with us the difference between being and doing. Mm. I love this. So I I mentioned earlier, you know, it's not a choice between the two, but about bringing them into harmony. Mm -hmm. And I think where being and doing, you know, for me was a tension um, and it was a tension that was typically reflected or maybe, um, illuminated that tension, um, around maybe an, an equal, like kind of success addiction and fear of missing out. Right. Like there were lots of things sort of pulling the doing to the center stage okay. and the being part for me for sure was, um, a lack of presence. And by that, I mean, I'm here with you. You have my full attention. Right. Um, so that was wonky. Um, I think the other part of the being that got, um, diluted was I lost touch with my truer desires, you know, like, why am I really doing this? Right. Like, why am I doing it just because I know I can, and I'll get accolades and it, you know, or am I doing it because this is my work to do. Like, no, of course I need to contribute to that. I, my heart is invested in that. And I just, I couldn't tease out the difference anymore. So maybe it was like a loss of connection to my head and my heart, um, which is where my, my being suffered. And as a result, I wasn't as present. I I wasn't as grounded. I wasn't as easy to be around, frankly, I'm sure. Well, and I, I completely relate (laughs) to exactly what you're saying is, is that there are times where, and i I'd be lying if I said it still doesn't happen, but I watch myself and how I'll behave. And I'm like, oh, Marsha, that is definitely not your best side. Like that is not why are you doing it? But I'm typically doing that when I am doing too much, taking on too much, setting ridiculous expectations. And then sometimes we get to the point where it's like, okay, it's just all getting shut down today. We're just, 
it's all going to be there tomorrow. It's not the end Mm -hmm. of the world. We'll figure it out. So knowing that you have to pull back because we are our own worst enemy. We are 100% our own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's, that's a good point is like, I don't know that I, I think being and doing was so intermixed, even though I, you know, the doing obviously was like the big brother and the, you know, the small little sister (laughs) getting hidden underneath, but, um, was just the self-aware, like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I want to do this? Like, I can remember a couple times towards the end of that, like, okay, enough is like, why did I do that? Like, I would at least before I'm like, oh, of course I'm going to do it. Cause that's just, I can. So I will. And it's like, why did I do that? I started kicking. Like, why did you say yes to that again? Like you so don't want to do that. Right. Just started stepping and being aware of how often that was happening. <laughs> quite a bit, quite frequently. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh- now that you've made some of these changes, have you noticed a change or improvement in your sleep, like health-wise? Oh my right God. Now? So one of the, part of my journey was sort of teasing apart the sleep thing, sleep mm-hmm. habit or lack of sleep habits. And where I landed with that, um, so I'm speaking to folks who really wrestle with insomnia, not, not just a sleepless night, although that stinks too, right? But like chronic insomnia, I didn't value sleep. I really was like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead, whatever, you know? And I always like remember going to bed late or just being tossing and turning and waking up and being like, get up, have some coffee. You'll be fine. Right. Throw some water on your face. Like you'll feel better in 20 minutes. But in the morning I'd be like, Oh my God, (laughs) I know I can barely get out of bed. So I think the, yes, I value sleep almost more than any other self-care practice that I do. Good for you. Yeah. I completely shifted my value structure around sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I do not take Ambien anymore. Um, I went to a sleep therapist. She said, I'm a, I'm a night owl. That's a genetic trait, by the way. It also came up on my 23andMe, interestingly enough. So there is a genetic predisposition to being a night owl. And of course, um, in the world at large, being a night owl is not great. It's better to be a morning person because that's, you know, life works that yeah. way. So, you know, I was like, oh, darn, I could either just like fall into that, right? Like be a victim to like, well, I guess I'll always be up till midnight or whatever. Or I could say, that's right. And my mom is insomniac. My my grandma was, we're all night owls. My daughter is, I I use essential oils. Um, I don't look at my phone at least like a half hour before I want to go to bed, just so that noise isn't in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Play music. May you still use melatonin, more natural, right? Like just yep. things aren't going to like take as much as they give or take more than they end up giving. So just being really conscious of it. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I, I love to sleep. I love it. <laughs> it's great. Thank you for sharing that because it's so important to see or for our listeners to hear that you can change something that has been a chronic habit for so long. Like it's that it's with, with practice, you can right. change that. Oh, and and I just say, I picked up uh, Huffington's uh, Sleep Revolution. I started reading it and I was like, okay, I'm going to tackle this. It was another thing to do. And I spent like I, six weeks, I was tossing, turning my poor husband snoring, or he'd have to go to the other room because I'm like flipping. Or, it was it was hard, mm-hmm. but I had to retrain myself to fall asleep on my own. But where I really got to why it's sustainable for me is I had to realize, oh, I need to value sleep more than anything else. Like that was my big aha. And that shifted most everything. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, and it's, that is so much more about recognizing what you need as opposed to what has to get done. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, you're also an author. What's the, you yes. just, you not only did you do a Ted talk last year in 2020, you also released a book. I did. I co-authored a book. So, um, for those who are thinking about writing, I have other, my own book ideas, but this was a beautiful way to be in community uh, share part of my story, which is around this work and, um, and get book publishing experience. So it's called the art and truth of transformation for women. It's more of an anthology. So it's a, a series of stories of other women who have, um, gone through transformation mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we hit Amazon bestseller. It was just a really fun thing to be a part of. And frankly speaking, probably 10% of the effort as it would be to write my own book, which is still something I'm going to do, but I'm pacing that. I'm like trying not to just do it to get it done. Mm -hmm. And that's proving to be a challenge in and of itself. Um, But it was a great experience. And and I'm, my story's now out there on print, which is hopefully useful. 
Yeah. That's beautiful. We are, our, our co-authored book um, called own your choices was released in the fall of last year. Mm-hmm. And I, it was beautiful because it gives women a chance to share their stories also from a standpoint that some will go on to write their own book, some won't, but they're still co-authored and they are published authors. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a great space to be in because then you're not, when you are the solo author, it's a very vulnerable moment because there's no one else you're sharing it with. So everything is there and it just increases the work, but the co-author is such a beautiful space to be in. It really is. And, you know, for those, it's sort of like for the writers out there who are wrestling with this very big life goal, um, you know, five years ago, nope, I'm going to write my own book, right? That's the only way, or I'm going to get a publisher instead of self-publish. And now I'm like, I'm going to co-author and I'm going to self-publish. And it's not about, it's not about the achievement, right? It's Mm -hmm. about what my voice has to share with the world that could be useful. Mm -hmm. And since I'm in the business of relieving individual and organizational suffering, right. And helping people live with more purpose, grace, and joy. Like I am constantly having to practice that towards myself. Oh, and this was one way to do that. So, yeah. That's why you're such a good teacher because you are constantly putting those lessons into practice with yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what I, people say to me all the time. Like, why, why am I constantly struggling with this? I'm like, because you're going to be a phenomenal teacher with it. Cause you actually have to live it. It's how you flip it. I mean, I had to learn boundaries because they were about safety at, for many, many years. It was about safety. And I thought, like, how can I still be fighting with boundaries? And I'm like, no, you're actually meant to teach this. This is why you keep living it. And mm-hmm. so it's just a flip of, instead of resisting everything that we think is going wrong, it's again, going back to the mentality that it is happening for us, which I know is a, a trigger point for a lot of people when we're in the thick of challenges, we don't like to hear that it's happening for us, but we can learn something from everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, why I did the Ted talk, I, I did have people like, Oh, another thing you did, right? Like, how do you tease that out? And I said, uh, yes. And um, I did my TED talk, not to say I've done a TED talk, although there's accolades with that. So I don't validate that. Right. And, right. Um, but I did it because I needed to tell my story. I needed to get a topic that felt like it was of service mm-hmm. to a group of humans that were suffering. And I realized as I named my own addiction and took a few years to get to the TED talk that I was not alone. There are doers everywhere. Um so that was first and foremost. And I think the second is like putting my story out there in that vulnerable way, like a book keeps me in my work. It sure does. You know, I, and I know that this is not done. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I am in recovery, thankfully, but it is always knocking on my door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you, and I didn't say that earlier, but I love how you referred to it as like a doing addict. And I think that I've said it many times here on this show many people suffer from, there's all different kinds of levels of addiction. It's not, it's, I mean, whether it's shopping, gambling, TV phones, you like, we all have levels of what our go-to drop into thing is. So doing addict, can you just clarify exactly what that means as a doing addict? Yeah. So the Ted talk I named doing as an addiction and I have some addiction in my, in my family. Um, workaholic is another form of addiction. My mom and I am, yeah. Um, doing addiction. And so naming it, I think gave it, um, urgency for me. Mm. And, um, what I meant by addiction and I was sensitive and I talked to other addicts, particularly substance abuse addicts. Um, and I said, is this, is this, can I call it this, right? Is this an addiction? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, tell me, you know, how it's affected your life. I've shared some of that. And then more importantly, do you have control of it? Does it have you? And I go, heck yeah, it has me. Right. And so, um, and it's getting in the way of my, my health, my well-being, my relationships, my presence, staying connected to my soul, right? Like all the things that addiction takes us away from numbs us out too. Right. And so, um, I had to name it that for me. And, uh, that also shifted, made a big shift because it said, well, do you really want to be, at the whim of the next shiny penny for your whole life? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have a stutter and a, you know, a tremor for your whole life? Do you want your kids to be in therapy um, at a point when it's too late to, you know, heal when they're in your home? Like, is that what you want? Um, and of course the answer is no, but yeah. No, I like, thank you for serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for clarifying that because I, I, I do say that. And I believe that we have, there's 
many of us have different levels of addiction that if we're not cognizant of that, we can fall back into quite easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where is the best place to connect, follow you, learn from you and everything that you have going on? Yeah. Um, I have two websites right now, <laughs> reneedeneen.com mm-hmm. and authenticinaction.com, which is the dedicated space for a lot of the work we've been talking about. Awesome. Um, has that, but also my coaching and consulting and I do mother daughter work and, you know, it's a little bit more broad. Um, I just, I have Facebook, mostly use that just for friends and I have LinkedIn, um, professional use as well. And then I just got on Instagram a couple months ago. So at Renee M Deneen mm-hmm. and all my posts are in this vein. It's awesome. definitely my, my go-to place to, to write, to talk, to learn. Um, and so that would be also maybe useful. Yeah. Thank you. I will make sure everything is linked up in the show notes. I just want to see exactly whereabouts you hang out. And so people can know where to connect with you. Um, I have a couple quick questions for you. The first one is, and you did touch on it, but I really want you to just tie the bow around it is what impact do you want to create in the world? Mm. Wrap a bow on my impact. Um, I want to leave a legacy of love through my relationship with others. That's why I'm here. Period. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Last question I have for you is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Mm. My first boss, my servant leader boss um, said to me as a working mom, two teenagers at the time, I was a young little 20 something in the Silicon Valley going to dot-com parties, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, she said, oh, Renee, you can have it all. Just not at the same time. I was like, "Mm, that's a crock. Yes, I can. Um, but it stuck with me. And she said, you know, and by the way, one day you'll know you don't want to, right? You can't taste it. You can't savor it. The texture is lost. Um, and so that landed on me before all this other work. That was kind of like that anchor for me. Like you can have an all just not at the same time. It gave me permission to consider that as a possibility. So I could enjoy the good things that were happening to me much more, you know, meaningfully. So thank That's you Deborah, for that. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's amazing how sometimes messages that we hear early on in our years that we don't realize the impact of them, but they they've imprinted and they're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I thank her all the time. We just reconnected. She's yeah. Anyway, she's the best coach I've ever had. So that's beautiful. I really have appreciated this time and so much value you have given to everyone here by sharing your story and how you have created change and are paying that forward to impact and serve and support others, I think is an absolutely beautiful thing. I thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your story and your work in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.